Another thing you've got to understand about this structure is that what, what I gave you here, you realize that it is a subsidiary that is having investment in the sub-subsidiary. But there is another scenario where the parent itself will have some investment in the sub-subsidiary. So if it is like that, how do we then calculate the non-controlling interest? Remember what I said? We are doing principles. So everything possible, I'm going to be bringing it up. So let's say that this time around he owns 75%. Um, so NCI in the subsidiary is 25%. And let's say the subsidiary that has only about 35% ownership of them. Follow me carefully. And then the parent has a direct investment of about 20% in them. So I want you to follow me carefully. In this case, how do we calculate the non-controlling interest in the sub-subsidiary? Now, so we share without the parent's investment now, anchor, the sub, this wouldn't have been sub-subsidiary. We would have treated it as what? Associates. But because the reason why it may become a subsidiary is because the, of the quantity of what? The parent's uh, ownership in them. So to get the controlling interest here, we will bring the direct control, direct controlling interest, and that is the 20%. Then we bring the indirect controlling interest through the subsidiary. What's that? This time this, right? So 75% times 35%, what do we have? 26.25%. So we add all. 51.25. So this becomes what? The combined controlling interest. So the direct control is it 25 or 20? 20. Then it becomes 46. Then it will be 46. Okay. 46. Yeah, somebody was saying something. I was asking. Mm -hmm. I realized there have been some changes. I was asking. So in case um, we have, let's say, 25%. Mm -hmm. percent, mm -hmm. And then our subsidiary also has, let's say, 26%. Mm -hmm. So on that surface, when you add, let's say, 51 but when you go through this process, of it will be like that. It will not be that. Yes. So in that case, would we say we, we, we so in that case, we didn't have controlling So control. now, our total controlling interest is how much? 46. The question is, do we can we control them? Or this is a, 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 a subsidiary. Would the subsidiary qualify to be, would the sub-subsidiary qualify to be the subsidiary of the parent? No. Because this guy doesn't have control. And their control plus our investment doesn't still give us what? Ownership. So in this case, it's 46%. So it's going to be significant influence. And we account for it as an associate. Are you getting the idea? And, and that is a trick I wanted you to know about. 
So in your question, adding it on the face value, you will think it is control. But we don't do that. You have to go through this procedure to determine whether there is control or not. You want to say something? Yeah, because um, the sub has 35%. Yeah. And the parents who have 25%. Yeah. So why is that they don't have control? We don't because the investment they have made in the sub subsidiary, it is not our money. Assuming it was 100% ownership, no fee. I get you now. So 25 belongs to NCI. NCI. So the NCI to have a share in the sub subsidiary. So that is the idea. So in this case, NCI value is going to be the balancing figure, which is minus 100. 50. That's the idea. So that's the difference I want you to understand on how we deal with complex group structure. I have a starting point. I had an examiner and the person who said, what are there now? They say, what you have that means examiner will get to party amount. Can I continue? So, but like, mm -hmm. as, as uh, IFI was can rightly define. Yeah, so like, for instance, if we have gotten this and we have gotten 46.25, and there was a legal requirement that only the, if there was a, an arrangement yeah. has been made with the other, with the other uh, non-controlling parties. Yeah. Can we, that one we can exercise control. Yeah, we can exercise control. And they are transferring their voting rights to us. Yes, we can exercise control. I want to see if I can get some question here. On that. Okay. We'll questions later. Now, after the group structure, the next thing you do is call a net asset. So step one is group structure. And I'm about group structure or KG class. It's simple. But so based on the group structure, we come to the step two, net assets. So in this case, can we say it's a controlling interest? No, no, no. Here, you know you're not controlling, right? So it's an associate. So we, can we call the NCI rather a controlling interest? Yeah, we can call it. But here, we are not even interested in NCI here because it's an associate. So that for what would you call it? We call it that's investment in associates. And the, and the NCI to is more to one person. Yes. People, so no, I understand that because yeah. I there's a controlling. I, I've written controlling interest, but technically, it's it, we really have controlling interest. We will just be maybe the good thing to call it. That's good. That's good. Let's call it this. We can call it combined ownership. Okay. Okay. I call it combined. Control interest. Okay. okay. But because this doesn't give us the control, yeah. Yeah. so we'll call it that. What we say? I have a 45, but am I a control? Identity mm -hmm. because we control the subsidiary who controls the other. Name of a 46, but am I a control? Identity because the guy doesn't control that guy, plus our own investment, we still don't control. That's the difference. Net assets. If the examiner asks you to do statement, group statement of financial position, 
you'll be needing this working. So what is the net asset about? The net asset is to bring the net asset of both the subsidiary and the sub-subsidiary. So the two of them. The subsidiary and then the sub-subsidiary. So let's see how it goes. What do we mean here? I'm going to, now, when we, if we were in the KG class, it would have been just one statement. But here, because there will be two companies, they will bring what? The two companies. So assuming we control the sub, who also controls the other sub, then it will be two. That's why we have sub-subsidiary. So we're going to have the subsidiary here, and we're going to have the sub-subsidiary here. Then we're going to bring at acquisition at year end. At acquisition, let me clean my line here. So here we are. Everybody done with this one? And then at year end. Now, follow me carefully on this one. When we are preparing the net asset, it is to find out what is the post-acquisition what? Profit or loss. So the question we ask ourselves is, what are the things that come on the net asset? So let me smash my dollar sign up. So we're going to be bringing the share capital. Please note that chances are the share capital is going to be the same. At acquisition for the subsidiary, the same will be at the end. For the sub-subsidiary, it will be the same at acquisition and at year end. Then we bring, uh, maybe if there is some reasons, chances are it will be the same at acquisition, the same at year end, same at acquisition, same at year end. Then we bring retained earnings. It's going to get slippery in a moment. So make sure you catch yourself. The retained earning at the date of acquisition, we bring the same thing. And the same thing comes here. So the retained retain earning before we acquire the business, or after the date we were acquiring the business, the same figure will be here, the same figure will be here. Sub-subsidiary, the same figure, the same figure. Yes. The earnings before we come to acquire them. Then profit for the year. Profit for the year. Please note that if we acquire them at the start of the year, that means all the profit belongs to us or we will take a share. For that reason, the profit for the year will just come at the end. For that reason, it will just come at the end. But if it is some period within the year or into the year, then the profit for the year will have to be split into two. Part will come to the date of acquisition and part will come to what? The year end. I don't know if you understand that thing. Go So let's say that date of acquisition is 1st May 2015 
and the reporting date year end for the year ended is 31st December 2015 and the company made a profit that is the subsidiary made a profit throughout the year of say $2,000 may say if you check it means the year starts from when January to December but we did the acquisition when first May so May June, July, August, September, October, November, December. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight months. It means they had been operation in operation for four months before what? we came. For that reason, this whole 2000, we can't bring it at the year end. We must split it into what? Two. So that four over 12 times that will go to the at acquisition. Then eight over 12 times that will come to what? The year end. That's what I mean. Okay. Was, this thing, is it more or less a pure academic stuff? Because that's in reality. It will, it happens in reality. Yeah. It's like in reality, a company is struggling. Yeah. By the time I went to buy it, it uh, on first me, they had made huge loss. Okay. And I went to buy it, I invested in it, yeah. changed one or two things. Yeah. So by December, we are now we've turned it around, we are making profit. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to at the end of the year, if I'm going to do this. Yeah. Would I say at the time I bought it, this was your profit? Good. So the, the question here is that um, for the whole year, how much money did they make? Did they make profit? Yes. If they made profit, then the time you acquire them, did you acquire them at the start of the year? If it was at the start of the year, then you will participate in the whole profit. So you will just bring that one at the end of the year. But someone acquired them before they are ended the whole profit from where that year you no know? you won't communicate you won't chop some it is how you won't chop some you know? and the January to the April you know? are you getting the idea so it is not so why over a loss did that you arrange with them and that will affect the way you calculate the goodwill you get the concept so that's what I meant here so profit for the year you could be splitting it or it will just come at the year end. And please remember the condition. The condition is if it is a full year acquisition, then the profit for the year will just come at the end. But if it is a mid year acquisition or less than one year acquisition, the profit has to be split. This is the principle. Yeah, I was trying to find out. You see, we have a return end yeah. at the end of the year. Yeah. Uh, you acquire the business. Mm -hmm. And the business has run at the end of the year, you have to retain end. Yeah. So, uh, because you acquire the, uh, the business in between the year, mm -hmm. the period, yeah. Uh, why, why do we have the uh, uh, retained earnings? So, let me explain this retained earnings. Yes. I mentioned that this is retained earnings at acquisition. It means the reasons of their profits throughout their operation. As at the time you acquire them. Yes. So it is retained and that acquisition. So the same thing will be at year start and at year end. It is this. But the one you chop some is the profit for the year. Are you getting the idea? So the retained ending is the retained ending at acquisition. At acquisition, which will be given to us, or we can determine from the financial statement. You do you get the idea? Okay. The next thing is what Boachin uh, mentioned about, and that is um, prior period adjustment. 
There could be that they made an error in their accounting. Please note that any correction of error on acquisition is dealt with at acquisition. It could be an addition or a subtraction. Okay? So what do I mean by that? Example of that could be that the company had capitalized and expenses which they, they were supposed to have written off. Now, if you capitalize expenses instead of writing it off, what is the effect of that on your retained earnings? It increases your it profit. Increases your profit. Thereby increasing what? Your retained earnings. So now when we acquire them and we realize that they've made an error, we need to what? Subtract it. Are you getting the idea? So anything they did that will increase their profit prior period adjustment, we will be dealing with it at the start of the year. Next item. Fair value adjustment. That's the regular customer. Fair value adjustment is where after the date of acquisition, the assets are either more than what they have recorded or less than what they have recorded. Please note that fair value adjustment can be an increase or a reduction. Whatever it is, bring it at the start of the year. So let me make a statement on that. It is, for instance, at acquisition, APLC has eight assets all with fair value equal with the exception of building that has fair value in excess of maybe two million dollars in language you know all the assets are equal to their fair value Nemo, building BOA, it should have been in excess of what? 2 million. Meaning they have understated their assets. For that reason, when we acquire them, it will come here as what? An addition. If they say below, then we would what? Deduct. Now, for whatever thing that happens at fair value adjustment, there should be what we call excess depreciation. So, So we're going to compute depreciation here, and the next, so usually we bring the same figure here. Maybe the same thing will be with a subsidiary, sub-subsidiary maybe, the same thing. Then the excess depreciation comes here. The, the, the fair value adjustment, is it for both parties? Yeah, the same will come at year end and year, year start. Sorry, year start and year end. Or at acquisition at year end. The same figure. Then the depreciation, the excess, in year, if they have understated their assets by 2 million, it means they have also understated their depreciation by what? 2 million. So when you calculate that excess depreciation, you will come at what? Bring it at the year end. What if they are not the same value depreciation? No, they will definitely do this. <laughs> they will definitely do it. <laughs> they will definitely do it. Now, so get a, get a rule here. So nothing will come here, but it's always at yes, sir. Please note that the excess depreciation I'm talking about here could be a positive or what? 
a negative. Assuming they are carrying the asset above its fair value, meaning they had charged depreciation more than what they are supposed to what? charge. So in that case, we would rather what? Add. We add it back. We add it back. If it is excess, we subtract. If it is below, we add it back. Very important. But this is the sweet spot. The difference between the fair value and the depreciation must go to the statement of financial position. So the difference between these two must go to the statement of financial position. Either as an addition or reduction, depending on the statement that is made. Hmm. Oh. Then let's come to... You said a fair value, you said... Fair value adjustment. The same figure will come at a position at year end. Now depreciation now over calculating and we never buy at year end. Now sometimes there is going to be what we call intra group trading, and I'm going to come.